Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Our subject for today is bullying. Seems to have gotten a lot of uh, press recently. Uh, the movie Bully is out, of course, and uh, I was uh, struck, as you probably were, by a front-page uh, editorial in the Sioux City Journal, uh, which they ran. In fact, it uh, took up the entire front page. Uh, the headline, We Must Stop Bullying, It Starts Here, It Starts Now. Uh, this was occasioned uh, by the death of a young man in that uh, community, Kenneth Weishun, who came out as gay several weeks ago and uh, was intensely bullied, uh, took his own life. Uh, unfortunately, not uh, an incredibly unusual uh, event, and uh, we're going to talk about the subject today. We have with us on the line from uh, Salt Lake City, Carla Kelly, Executive Director and Founder of Human Rights Education Center of Utah. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Uh, in studio with us, Clint Farmer, School Counselor with Edith Bowen Laboratory School, Elementary School in Logan. Thanks for coming in. Thank you for having us come. And uh, Scott Ross is assistant professor in the uh, Special Education and Rehabilitation Department of the Emma Eccles-Jones College of Education and Human Services at Utah State University. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. Uh, by the way, uh, Professor Ross, I uh, understand you just won an award for your, your work, uh, research in, in bullying. Congratulations on, on Thank that. Thank you. We'll hear about that research. You're implementing this uh, schools nationwide, I understand. That's right. Uh, before we uh, get into the, the subject, or a way to get into the subject, let's hear the uh, the trailer next from the movie, Lee Hirsch's movie. But here's uh, about two minutes. It's the trailer to, to this movie we've been all hearing about. In the last couple of days, we had heard that Tyler had his head shoved into a wall locker. They said he is a geek. My concern is, is that you were making someone feel so uncomfortable that they didn't want to be in school. I feel kind of nervous going to school because I like learning, but I have trouble with making friends. They said he is a geek. Some kids have told him that he is worthless to go hang himself. And I think he got to the point enough was enough. Tonight, a tragic situation. A perks boy, just 11 years old, believed to have been desperate enough to take his own life awfully complicated and difficult issue. Kids will be kids, boys will be boys. They're just cruel at this. Here what we get is nothing's wrong. We didn't do anything. Everything's fine. They punch me, strangle me, take things from me, sit on me. Give it to him hard! He's not safe on that bus. I've been on that bus. They are just as good as gold. My voice is not going to fall silent. I will go to my grave until a difference is made. We reached out to, to parents that have lost kids, parents of kids that are being bullied all over the world, and it took off like wildfire. All it takes is for one person to stand up. Be the difference. Go out and find that one child, that new kid standing over there by himself. Be willing to stand up for him. Everything starts with one and builds up. Eventually, we have an army. If we all do it together, we will change the world. That's the trailer from the movie, the documentary uh, Bully. It uh, follows uh, five uh, kids uh, in specific in uh, rural areas around uh, the country, two of whom uh, committed suicide. Let me start our discussion here about bullying in Utah with uh, Carla Kelly, again, Executive Director and Founder of Human Rights Education Center of, uh, of Utah. And I believe, uh, Ms. Kelly, you, you have experience uh, through your, your son and grandson, right, uh, with bullying. Um, yes, I have. Um, and I also have a gay nephew. I mean, they, they were bullied because they were gay, but that's not, I mean, bullying is bullying. It, it doesn't, doesn't matter, you know, whether you're gay or, uh, bullying is a high form of discrimination. And, um, even though in the gay community, it seems that kids are getting it in a much more, um, horrific way hmm. yeah so you, so you uh, think it's think getting more worse awareness is being brought to it mm -hmm. but it's it's a terrible problem 
Could, could, would you tell us about uh, maybe your son? He, um, he, I guess he came out and then bullying started? Well, um, I was fortunate uh, with my son, who is now in his 40s, um, that we sort of faced this together. I mean, he didn't really have to go in the closet. Um, I didn't know anything about um, anyone being gay at the time. I've learned a lot since then. So we sort of, you know, worked on it together. Um, he's been a real example and helped a lot of other kids that have been bullied, uh, been kicked out of their homes for being gay, that kind of thing. We've acted as support. <clears throat> so uh, certainly we've had incidences. One night he was um, what they call gay-bashed. Um, with some friends in a car, um, people hopped out with a baseball bat, bashed in the windows. Um, Corey was with uh, a couple of his friends. Um, the point is, is that no one should um, be ever in danger. And kids, particularly uh, in school and to and from school, that kind of thing, uh, deserve to be safe. And it's a terrible problem. However, I'm going to say right off the top here, I think that schools get scapegoated a lot for bullying. Um, it's not a school problem. It's a community problem. Mm-hmm. And the, the result of our society. And that's what the uh, the editorial board of the Sioux City Journal said. It's, it's, we're, all, we're all responsible. Let me turn to, to Clint Farmer. Uh, you're in a school, a school counselor. Have you... Imagine you've seen seen bullying. Yeah, I've been working for uh, within schools for about the last fourteen years. Prior to that, I was working with uh, Division of Youth Corrections as a clinical social worker and developing programs for them on different things. And I came over to schools after the Columbine shootings, and they had some uh, some federal money. They started putting effort into you know trying to um, work on school violence within schools and do threat and risk assessment. So I was hired in to come in and. And take a look at uh, cash district from top to bottom, and make some recommendations on violence prevention, and drug and alcohol stuff. And that's how I got my feet working in the schools. Quite enjoyed it, but uh, a lot of work. I think it's real important work is the bully prevention. Uh, in that role I had working off that grant, we had opportunities to do a lot of uh, you know deep thinking and research on what was working out there. And there was a bunch of bully prevention programs that we were looking at. That quite frankly, even with the money we had from the federal grant. We couldn't afford. They're very expensive. They're very time-consuming. Uh, take a lot, of, a lot of time in the classroom. But being married to a teacher, I know that that time's important. You don't always get it. So uh, through the through the process of, of my career, I've, I've worked with kids that you know are struggling and, and and having difficulty. Worked in secondary schools for for uh, ten years, and then had a chance to come up to Edith Bowen. This is my third uh, third contract. I'm finishing up, and as part of that, uh, we got there. We did a survey. And uh, sure enough, over 50% of the kids at the school said that they'd been bullied. So uh, it seemed like an awful lot to me. I was very discouraged by that. So we did a follow-up survey, a little more formal survey. And uh, it actually, you know, reinforced in, in, uh, what, what we learned in our first survey. So I went about the business of trying to find the best program that I could to implement uh, in a school to help bullying. And I'd, I'd heard from some of the conferences that I'd gone to about this great program that was put together by Scott Ross and a few other, uh, you know, great people out there. So I did some research on it. I found it. It was uh, it was easy to get online. I could download it for free. And so I looked at all the material. And having done all the work before and looking at bullying prevention programs, when I looked at this one, I thought, this will work. It has the key elements to it of working with bystanders and teaching social responsibility. It doesn't take a huge amount of time. You can do it within four or five lessons. Uh, Teachers can do it or a counselor can do it. Um, But generally the idea is that you're working with the whole school. You're working to change an entire school culture. And so you're going to do more things as a a school counselor than than just this. But to me, this this is really what's at the core. Kids need to feel safe at school in order to concentrate and then to be able to do well academically. Let's turn to uh, Professor Ross. Um, how did you get into this this subject matter? Uh, my my work started as a teacher and experiencing so many kids uh, that had run into the bullying issue. But really what directed me in this direction was uh, the fact that we didn't have the resources. 
so often we don't have the resources to do the things that we want to do. So I came back to, to graduate school in an effort to design things that were actually feasible for schools and communities to do. And while I was there, we ran what's called a meta-analysis, which is basically a study of studies where we took all those bully prevention programs that are out there, all the ones that were out there at the time about six years ago. And what we did was we analyzed all those programs that are out there to find out, number one, do they work? Number two, when they don't work, why not? In an effort to try to come up with something that's really feasible uh, in our schools. Uh, and so the results of that came back very mixed as far as some school some school interventions had some effects. Some actually had negative effects. And we've seen this over and over again where some bully prevention strategies will actually result in more kids feeling like they're bullied. Uh, so that's a, obviously a big problem. So the development of some of the curricular materials and the training materials that we've we've come up with are, is based on really the fundamental components of effective intervention for bullying. We'll talk about those as, as we go along. Let me follow up with you, uh, uh, Professor. Um, I, I was talking to a friend uh, the other day who, who has some children in, in uh, various grades. They're saying... Children are very egocentric. They, you know, they kind of see their own world and uh, maybe are not aware that a problem is happening. And so, uh, as as Mr. Farmer said, uh, and uh, Ms. Kelly, we all have to take responsibility for this. Do 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 kids have a greater, uh, t- harder time taking full responsibility and and uh, and noticing that uh, they have responsibility? Let me redirect your question just a little bit. I think the real challenge for kids is in recognizing, quote-unquote, bullying. Mm. Because when we talk about the definition of bullying, we're talking about something that requires an intent to hurt somebody. We're talking about something that has to happen frequently. And we're talking about something that has to have a power differential. Just imagine sitting on a playground watching a bunch of kids play and trying to determine whether one kid has more power than another kid before you decide whether it's bullying. Now pretend you're a kid and do that same thing. Mm. So the Kids are, have a major difficult difficulty to saying, oh, that was bullying, so I have to do this about it. Um, what we actually work with is not focusing on that language. So whereas it's important to know what bullying is, we actually talk about what respectful behavior is. And so when somebody is not treating you respectfully, what do you do about it? When you see somebody not treating somebody else respectfully, what do you do about it? Uh, that bullying terminology is becoming very loaded. In fact, in high schools, there are a lot of high school students who are saying we don't want bully prevention because mm-hmm. what it means is if we're called a bully, there's a, a lot of a lot of problems with that. We get in lots of trouble. But if I tease this kid over and over and over again, I'm fine. Mm. Right? So once we cross that arbitrary line, uh, then it's bullying. So a lot of high school students are pushing back now from the, uh, all of the uh, mandates that are in- saying we need to bully prevention strategies. Mm. Uh, Carla Kelly, I, uh, I heard you agreeing there, I think. that uh, Have you had uh, seen similar things? Well, I agree. I, I haven't... Um... I, have, I don't like the word bully. I've avoided many years from even using it. Um, but I, I think our kids need more character education in terms of, um, uh, well, I call it empathy education. You know, that's what I call it. You know, we work with um, all kinds of youth organizations where we're dealing with teaching kids empathy. Um, our kids are, have been pretty desensitized. And um, we live in a violent society, and so when they're either experiencing violence at home or their own behaviors are being um, said that they're normal, if they're not, then we are abnormalizing the normal. I mean, uh, kids see violence on everywhere at every turn, and so I think we do need to... um, work more with kindness and empathy. It seems really strange that we have to be teaching these things, but I think there's a lot of reasons for it. But um, I agree that the the word bullying and um, this whole push uh, can be loaded and is loaded, hmm. and people become defensive. You know, if somebody pushes, they push back. And you, you, you named your organization the Human Rights Education Center of, uh, of Utah. 
kind of big, long name. Yeah, but but I guess, uh, you know, it's not the bullying uh, center of, or prevention center of, of Utah. And uh, the front page of, on your website uh, provides empathy and bullying prevention education for people of all ages and backgrounds. So you, in your travels and experience, people of all ages get bullied, do they, or is it mostly school kids? Oh, no, of course. I think little bullies grow up to be big bullies. Um, and, you know, there is a movement uh, going about workplace bullying. It, it's getting a slow start in the United States. It's hard to hard to push that to companies. But, um, yeah, I, I think bullying is not reserved for the kids. It's definitely, I mean, we all know bullies. We all know adult bullies. And then look what we look what our kids and our youth are seeing on TV, um, even during a political campaign. We're watching people bully each other, mm. and then we say that's normal, and then we question the kids when they're behaving the same way. Mm. We turn to, uh, to Clint Farmer. I'm sure you've seen all different kinds of, of bullying. But you probably also experienced uh, another fact that I think is, is the case, in many cases, that uh, kids don't talk about it. They don't go talk to a teacher or parents, and they, they continue getting bullied. Yeah, that was one of the uh, things that, that stood out to me when we first did our survey. We're trying to find out, um, were kids bullied, and then what way, and then also what part of the school. Uh, clearly, is it before school, on the way to school? If it's going on during the school day, where is it happening? Very few of it, very very small amounts happen in the classroom. A lot of it happens at recess and at lunchtime recess. And you can differentiate between the two. And you need to on your surveys because a lot of times during teacher recess, what we found in our school is when the kids were getting bullied the most because they weren't supervised as much. Um, during uh, lunch recess, we had plenty of people. We'd been training them, working really hard about recognizing these things, implementing this program. And and uh, so the good news was that even by having adults in, in the right place looking for the right thing, you can you can cut down on it. The bad news is is that um, you, you know adults sometimes aren't always looking. It drives me crazy sometimes when I look at, at programs uh, and they're looking at playground monitors and they're reading the paper or they're correcting papers or something. You might as well not be there if you're not going to look. you got to watch for, for certain things. And I think uh, to me as a school counselor, uh, lunchtime and those those free times those are the most important times those are really i 'm really mm-hmm. active during those times. I teach my practicum students you need to be active. you need to be where the kids are since you don 't have a classroom. you need to be where the kids are so you 're active before school uh, during lunchtime after school but we you know we can 't control those teacher recess things but so they they do happen when you find out that they happen then uh, you you sit down and you set some goals and some plans to to work on it really surprised I think we had um, 23 kids. If I if I just go with just the third, third, fourth, and fifth grades, we had 23 kids that reported had been bullied, but would not tell an adult. Mm. Uh, so certainly we set a goal to to target that, and and you know the the program uh, that we're using, the bully prevention and positive behavior support, which Scott Ross was one of the developers, it, it addresses that. So and we've seen that we've seen uh, our 2011 or 2012 data, good trend lines, and uh, you know pleased to say I think we only had. Uh, we had, well, we had, I think, nine kids say they weren't safe in the school the first years we did this. We had three kids this last year say that they were. So we're making progress every year, and it appears that the, the culture of the school knows and is on board with, um, you know, bullying's not okay. We're willing to stand up and, and look at it that way. We're talking about bullying, if you've just joined us. Uh, that's obvious, but uh, you uh, may not have heard me introduce my guests, and so uh, let me do that again. Uh, Carla Kelly is exec direct, Executive Director and Founder of the Human Rights Education Center of Utah. We have her on the phone with us in studio. Scott Ross, Assistant Professor in the Special Education and Rehabilitation Department at USU, and uh, Clint Farmer, School Counselor at Edith Bowen Laboratory School in uh, in Logan. We turn back to uh, Professor Ross. You were talking about how confusing it is for perhaps... Uh, a teacher looking at recess <laughs> to detect, okay, what's going on uh, here, even harder for, for kids. But as a teacher or a parent, what are some things I can do to uh, to, to make things safer, to detect this, uh, perhaps early? Great question. Um, I, I think it's important that, as Clint mentioned, that we be on, on the playground, that we be in these settings as much as we can to observe. Now, Here's the key, though, to bullying. Uh, what we found, and actually there's some great researchers and 
Canada doing this research right now over the last 10 years where they've actually taken video cameras and placed them on playgrounds and they've matched those video recordings with audio recordings of the kids. And what they find is every time there's an incident of bullying, harassment, teasing, whatever, uh, who else is around, right? They can see it on the video. And what they found is that over 87% of the time, there's somebody else there. Bullying is not done for the lunch money very often. Bullying is not done uh, for some internal reason. Most, almost 87% of the time or almost always, bullying serves the function of peer attention. It's because somebody else is laughing. It's because the victim is trying to fight back. It's because of those things that reinforce the problem behavior that, it, that tend to move it towards bullying incidents. Uh, and so what the real key, the real key to doing something about it is to address that peer attention. So rather than most intervention strategies out there it are, involve policy where if a kid gets caught bullying, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, we're going to do this to you. Problem is the reinforcement that kid gets from their friends, right? Those kids who laugh when they pick on Johnny, uh, that's more valuable than the punishment that we adults try to deliver. So if we really want to have a strong impact on it, we've got to focus on the bystanders in two ways. First, we've got to focus on removing the peer attention. In other words, get kids to stop laughing. Get kids to stop joining in. Get kids to stop trying to physically fight back when they know they're half the size of the bully, right? Even though dad said, fight back, stand up for yourself, Kids who actually will fight back uh, tend to get hurt more. So we need to have a strategy for, so they can remove that peer attention. We don't want to make it so that they can't stand up for themselves, but we have to do it safely. Um, so there's the first thing of, of d removing that peer attention for the bullying behavior. The other is we've got to start reinforcing kids for standing up for one another. So there's those two components that are absolutely critical, and those play into adults on the playground or wherever they're watching, and they see a kid try to do it appropriately. They need to jump in and reinforce that kid, saying, awesome job, saying stop in an appropriate way. Um, the same thing goes when they ignore somebody teasing somebody else, when a friend of a bully doesn't laugh and join in. We adults, even though it's not necessarily bullying, quote unquote, yet, Adults need to step in and say, fantastic job not laughing when that kid did that. And I could see how you have to work on the whole culture of the school. Absolutely. Everybody has to buy in. How do, how do you have that happen? Great question again. So here's where we really – the rubber meets the road in terms of efficiency and feasibility in a school. A lot of programs out there have a, an enormous package where they require all these different components. Frankly, especially in the economic times that we're in right now, it's not, not feasible. So what we need to do is start with interventions that get us the biggest bang for our buck. One of the things we can do is we teach school-wide expectations. How do we expect every kid in the school to behave? And that's as simple as something like being safe, being responsible, being respectful to every kid. And then we say, what does it look like to be safe, responsible, and respectful on the playground? What does it look like in the classroom? What does it look like in the bathroom? What does it look like in the cafeteria? We teach that simple, simple version. You could even call it character ed at a very simple level, right, of how do we be that way towards each other. And then we reinforce that school-wide, and we have a system for collecting data on when it's not done, being done. Mm -hmm. Then uh, what we found is that by itself has had um, – significant effects on bullying. Just doing that small intervention, there have been randomized control trials or big studies that have demonstrated that works. Now, that's not going to work for every kid, though, right? You're going to have 80% of the kids, that's all they'll need, and they're going to be great. But you're still going to have 10 to 15% of the kids who are going to need a little bit more, right? You think of a few kids in the classroom who they tease. They're not necessarily the big bullies or the gang members yet, but they are starting to tease each other, especially around third through fifth grade and above, right? They're starting to get that peer attention I referred to. Um, so they're starting to tease a little bit more. We need a simple addition to uh, remove that peer attention. What we did with this uh, bully prevention and positive behavior support is we actually added in a what do you do if somebody's not respectful towards you? We say stop in a, in a school-wide manner. 
If it doesn't stop, you walk away. If it doesn't stop, you go and tell an adult. Simple three-step response. But the real key to the intervention is that we don't focus on teaching these lessons. We focus on walking the walk. We focus on having teachers actually coach kids on a daily basis saying, what are you going to do today if, if Sally pushes you? Right. Oh, today I'm going to say stop. Good. Show me that stop signal. Oh, that looks awesome. That sort of coaching is what makes the difference. There are there are un, uncountable different programs and curricula out there. The problem is the generalization. We teach something in the classroom. We want them to do it on the playground. That's not that's a big jump for a lot of kids to take something they learn in the classroom and use it. Uh, in the real world. And so to get that, we've got to include the coaching and the ongoing support of the kids. And we've gotten some major effects uh, for that 10 to 15% of kids uh, who need a little bit of help. There will, again, though, there will be always 1 to 5% of kids who need high levels of support, right? The gang members, the um, kids with emotional disorders and that sort of thing will need that higher level of support. But the key is to work systematically so we're not trying to embed too much at once. We're going to take a break here uh, in just a moment. I want to turn back to uh, Carla Kelly before we do that. Uh, And in the next half of the program, I want to talk about long-term effects uh, from bullying. Uh, You have a perspective with uh, several family members. I want to talk maybe specifically about your son who experienced some, uh, sounds like, pretty severe uh, bullying, and you say has has gone on to help other people. Uh, I wonder uh, some things you can uh, tell other people how to how best to handle this. If it happens to you, happens to your your child, sounds like your son handled it pretty well. Well, I, I can only assume that you're um, asking me um, about the fact that he's gay and that that was the reason he was particularly attacked that one time, um, which is true. Um, if, uh, a, a kid is gay, and of course we, you know, we've got these problems because, you know, we've got issues in the schools, um, where a lot of people are really uncomfortable with dealing with a kid's sexual orientation. So I think my best advice to anyone is that to get themselves educated, um, and what you can do, uh, to help a kid. Um, if uh, it, he, is, he or she is being bullied because of uh, some sort of gender identity or sexual orientation. So um, education was the key for me, which is why I put human rights education, the word education in this little nonprofit, um, and um, to find out as much as you can about what, what kind of programs are going on in your kids' schools, um, and I think all the comments we made here today have been terrific. I mean, it gives me great hope to know uh, that you know that, that people are really working on this to have things ha- happen in the schools. But it does take the school's full commitment and changing the school culture. And so it becomes a very complex issue, uh, especially in Utah, when you know our teachers and our administrators are so overburdened anyway. And then you want them to, you know, you throw in something else that they, that it almost becomes a have to. So it, it takes dedicated people like these two gentlemen um, to, to really get in there and get something done. So um, that's maybe a very long answer, but uh, I, I think education is the key and to be involved in your community because this is a community problem. Um, I think People in the community should be supporting their schools, whether or not that they've got kids in the school or not, because there's a lot of bullying going on to and from school with some real serious issues. Um, There's a lot of bullying going on in the school buses. Um, So I think as community members, we have to step up and care about our own communities, whether that's your own small neighborhood or whether that's, you know, the larger um, Salt Lake City, find something you can do and do it. We we are in this together. We're connected, and we have kids killing themselves. Mm. Not okay. 
We're going to take a brief break. We'll be back with uh, the subject of bullying with uh, Carla Kelly, Executive Director and Founder of Human Rights Education Center of Utah, Scott Ross, who's Assistant Professor in the Special Education and Rehabilitation Department at USU, and Clint Farmer, School Counselor at Edith Bowen Laboratory School in Logan. We'll talk about uh, who is perhaps most vulnerable to bullying. We'll talk about uh, more on uh, bully prevention programs and long-term effects. Talk about cyberbullying as well. Much to talk about back after this break. On the next edition of the Putumayo World Music Hour. It's music from parts of the world where French is spoken. North Africa, the Caribbean, Canada, and Brittany. I'm Dan Storper. And I'm Rosalie Howard. Join us for Le Monde Francais, the French world, the next Putumayo World Music Hour. Friday night at 10 on Utah Public Radio. Support for Utah Public Radio is provided by Colgan Water of Cache Valley, family-owned and operated for more than 62 years, providing Colgan bottled water, salt delivery, or salt and conditioned water. Hey, Colgan Man, service from the man in blue. Online at logan.colganman.com. This is folk singer Michael Jonathan inviting you to tune in to the next Wood Songs broadcast. You may never have heard of them before, but you're going to love it. It's Pearl and the Beard and Della May. I'm going up on the mountain to watch the sunrise high. I don't know if I'll ever come back. It's music and conversation on the next broadcast of the Wood Songs, Old Time Radio. Friday night at 11 on Utah Public Radio. The following is an encore presentation. Stand up and 13 million kids will be bullied in the U.S. this year. 3 million students are absent every month because they feel unsafe at school. Bullying is a serious problem that happens everywhere. It's not a phase children need to go through. Bullying causes serious and lasting harm. Students... If you see bullying, step in if you feel safe, and always tell an adult. Visit www.thebullyproject.com. I'm a New York Yankee, and I'm taking a stand against bullying. Stand up and we'll light up and we'll rise There's a public service announcement that's associated with the movie uh, Bully. This, uh, this was uh, New York Yankee, I believe, and uh, we have several of those uh, startling uh, statistics. Uh, some 13 million uh, uh, children will uh, be bullied this year. Three million students will be absent because they feel unsafe at uh, school. The movie Bully is out. Front page editorial uh, in the uh, Sioux uh, City uh, um, Journal. And we're talking about the subject as it relates to Utah. Our guests in this hour, Carla Kelly, Executive Director and Founder of Human Rights Education Center of Utah, Scott Ross, Assistant Professor in Special Education and Rehabilitation Department in the M. Eccles Jones College of Education and Human Services at Utah State University, and Clint Farmer, School Counselor with Edith Bowen Laboratory uh, School. Uh, before the break, uh, Carla Kelly, you were you were saying, uh, emphasizing the seriousness of, of the issue that uh, kids are dying because of this. And uh, as we see in the movie Bully and uh, this uh, this tragic incident in, in Iowa, uh, this is a very, very serious issue. Uh, kids don't have the uh, the equipment to, to, to deal with this, uh, less than adults. Of course, adults sometimes don't have the equipment to deal with this. Uh, I wonder if you talk a bit about that, the seriousness of this problem. Um, well, you know, I'm going to a memorial tonight in Ogden. There was an 18-year-old kid that killed himself last Monday, last week, um, because he was gay, and uh, and he, you know, he had been incessantly bullied at school time and time and time again. Um, I, I think kids that that um, appear to be different, quote unquote. You know, stand out more as targets, and um, the gay community being one of those. Uh, kids with disabilities. I had a mother call me last week with just a horrendous story um, about her child um, who's being bullied at school um, that has a pretty severe disability. So, um, yeah, I mean, this is it's a, it's a terribly uh, important subject. And 
and we have to do something about it. And I really believe that, you know, we have uh, more good kids than we don't, but kids are still kids, and they need supervision, and they need um, attention, and they need, you know, all the things that we would like to give a kid in an ideal world. However, um, the only way I see anything happening at all is, on top of these grand efforts that we're all trying to make here, is that, you know, we, again, reach out in our own communities and get to work. We have to do this. Mm. We have to. Clint Farmer, uh, is there any predictor? Are there certain kids who are more likely to get bullied? Anybody, I guess, who's different, uh, do you think? Well, I think shy kids or quiet kids or kids that... um you know, sometimes put off certain body language can can be can be targets, but essentially, um, you know, by by teaching the whole uh, school what what's expected, what what to do in these situations when you when you see bullying or you find yourself on the back end of bullying is really is really key. And uh, I, I think uh, Scott Ross talked about this earlier. When when you start off schools, you talk you teach kids uh, expectations, how you walk in the hallway, how you behave in the auditorium, how you line up for line. By teaching the bullying uh, piece there too, is along with that, how we behave on that, it becomes just part of the culture. So kids are growing up knowing this is just what we do at Edith Bowen, or this is just what we do at, at this elementary school, and 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 this works, and and and. And I believe it's going to work in every school. I, I've uh, implemented it down at Bridger Elementary for the last two years, getting the same results, the same data uh, with uh, with with kids, and, and really people are pretty excited about uh, what's going on there. So, mm. and we do have an email uh, comment. Um, he says, "Great show, thank you. I'd like to offer an idea which may or may not be useful. Uh, you describe bullies well; those who abuse people that they know they can dominate." I think it would be valuable to teach students that bullies are therefore cowards. Once children learn that bullying is cowardly, bullies might lose the positive attention they seek and gain a character assessment that they will not appreciate. That's uh, from uh, uh, Mark. Uh, Professor Ross, I wonder what's your reaction to that? Uh, it's a great email. Thank you for that. Uh, there's When we go the denigration route, we have to be very, very careful uh, one, there's that difficulty in recognizing what a bully is, right? So once I'm labeled a bully, we often see that that kid may get bullied themselves, right? So if we're going to say that bullying is cowardly or the, the bad thing to do, and I definitely value and understand uh, the purpose of not reinforcing bullying, but if we put a you're a bad person if you are called a bully, we actually may run into bigger problems in the long run. So we just have to be very careful about uh, putting a, a negative link to a person. We want to focus on the behavior. So yes, bullying is not good and we don't want to do it. And most kids would agree with that. But they, what they don't understand is that what they are doing, whether it is bullying or not, they see it oftentimes a kid will push, let's say Johnny pushes Sally off the stairs, right? And you go to Johnny, say, Johnny, that was bullying. And he says, no, 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 that was a bully. We were playing a game, right? She wanted me to push her off the stairs, that sort of thing. You often get those sorts of responses. But let's turn that on its head. And if we go to Johnny and say, Johnny, did Sally say stop to you when you started pushing her? Oh, oh yeah, she said stop. And what would you do about it? I just kept pushing her, right? We're in a different conversation now. Um, so, again – Focusing on simple responses kids can make as opposed to the actual terminology can be much more effective for the kids. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about cyberbullying. Uh, start with Clint Farmer uh, on this. Uh, unfortunately, you get two new technology, and uh, there are going to be good things there, but the bad stuff is going to migrate over there as well. And this can be just vicious. Yeah, yeah quite, quite often um, people, we just assume bullying is just with people pushing and shoving each other. And what, what we've seen uh, in, in the schools and what we've seen and in, in our, our data supports that, too, is is that just as likely to be a victim of being excluded or having what we call relational aggression take place against you, which someone spreads a rumor, keeps it going. The technology cyberbullying just accelerated that, just made that 
uh, more difficult. So you have to to kind of um, be able to work with uh, track down some of those sources, I think, and get to the bottom of it. But it's something also you, you can teach as well. It's not okay to do this. Uh, here's how we behave with this technology. Here's how we behave in, in the school again. Um, a lot of um, conferences uh, have focused on relational aggression the last few years. My first exposure to it was uh, going to a conference around positive behavior supports, and they had uh, the author of uh, the book Odd Girl Out. And, uh, you know, what a great influence that was on me working in secondary schools at the time, uh, being able to try to track down bullying, realizing that there's a hierarchy of girls in a, uh, in, in a group, and that sometimes the, the girls that feel like they're not part of the top three or in the upper echelon, they uh, they do things in order to to um, you know show commitment to the group, and so they'll go out and, and bait students or, or you know kids into conversations, then and then tattle on them and create this conflict. Well, we weren't making any progress in getting that to settle down until we we listened to her about the book, started really tracking some relationships, figuring out who belonged to what what group. And uh, if there's any counselors out there listening, all I can tell you is that the best way to figure out who belongs to one group is just go sit in the lunchroom. Kids sit in this place where they're comfortable. They eat there every day. Uh, I've just learned over time that, you know, if I'm working with, with one kid on this issue, that probably the four or five kids around him are peripheral users of cigarettes or whatever the issue is. So we learn to kind of track group dynamics that way and then talking with kids. And then once we get the, the people we need to together, then, then it stopped. We're able to kind of fix it. So it it sounds simple, but it, it's not. But, you know, good people that are sharp that understand it and with a good faculty and student body that's very committed to making it change, you can change this. You can turn this around. So, Let's go to a caller. Uh, this is Jessica in North Logan. Uh, go ahead with your question or comment. Um, yes, I have a comment. Um, I was a, a receiver of bullying as a child, and I, I'm now in my 30s and... Um, you know, that stuff never goes away. You get over it, and I've really had to learn how to forgive. And it's been an important thing for people that go through bullying to learn how to forgive the people that, you know, unfortunately use them in inappropriate ways to get a rise out of, you know, their peers and all the things you guys have been talking about. I can agree with that. And what I've realized as I've grown up and run into people that I experience bullying from um, is a lot of them grew up and realized that they'd made a mistake. And some of them have actually come and apologized to me with tears in their eyes um, and said, I'm so sorry that I ever caused you any pain. This has bothered me for years. And I had been able to get over it. And so it was easy for me to say, you know, I forgive you. But I know that's not the case for everybody because it takes a lot of time to get over that kind of abuse. And the hardest thing for me to go through was, I mean, I'm so excited that you guys are talking about this because in the 1980s, even I lived in Cache Valley in the 1980s and the the Cache County School District, and the principal, unfortunately, at the time, he would just turn a blind eye. And a lot of teachers didn't know what to do, and some teachers would try to be proactive, but often it was up to my parents to try to step in and try to protect me. And I was very small for my age, so I didn't really know what I was supposed to do. And I often just got picked on because I was little, and I was very sensitive, and they could easily get me to cry. And so I, I watch my own girls now going through, you know, they're beginning to experience a little bullying, and it's, it's very painful to relive it, watching your children go through some of it, and then trying to talk to them about appropriate behaviors, and then how to respond to bullying, and then how not to be a bully. So I'm really excited that you guys are talking about this, because I think I wish that we would have had a dialogue like this when I was a kid, because it could have prevented a lot of damage. And I know that other people even got worse bullying than I did. So anyways, that was just my comment, and I just... I, I hope that this continues to go throughout the country because I don't want my kids to have to go through this like what I did. Thank you, Jessica. We really appreciate you sharing your experiences. That's uh, that's really um, it really brings the the problem home, doesn't it? Uh, it in her thirties, she's mm-hmm. still still dealing with this, and uh, it sounds like successfully uh, trying to forgive. Yeah, and I appreciate her courage being able to call in and talk about that mm-hmm. pain. So, uh, Carla Kelly, I wonder, uh, people you've met, um, uh, still dealing with the effects of bullying years later? Oh, oh I'll never forget. I had a, a training with adults um, a few years ago, and a, a woman who was 82 stood up and shared her story when she was a child, how she'd been bullied, and the tears were streaming down her face. Yeah. Um, you know, these are these are events that stay with us and wound our souls and our hearts. 
and um, uh, and I want to, if we could talk about cyberbullying for just a minute, I, I wanted to give some information um, about at least some resource information. I have found probably the best information from uh, the Cyberbullying Research Center and and their book. Um, and I've actually been to a couple of conferences and seen these guys present. So I just wanted to throw that out there for the um, audience that it would be, it's the, you can find it online, the Cyberbullying Research Center, and the book is Bullying Beyond the Schoolyard. Really up-to-date, wonderful information continually um, on their site, on the website. It's just up-to-date, two, two college professors, so it's academically based. It's, it's good stuff. Very good. We just have a couple minutes left, and I wanted to uh, follow up with, with high school, um, Professor Ross. You said high schoolers, maybe you've talked to or, or read about, don't even want to put a label to it. Uh, it's, it's, I imagine it's harder to deal with this in high school. Yes. The interventions in, in high schools are, are far more challenging for a couple of reasons. <clears throat> One reason it's, it's far more challenging is this, if we ask high school, the key to bully prevention, again, is to remove that peer attention and to reinforce positive peer attention. But the problem is that if we, anytime we tell high schoolers what to do, right, so uh, this high schooler, you're going to tell them when they see bullying to step in and say stop or something like that. It's going to be uncool. Instantly, the language, whatever it is, is going to be uncool. So a lot of work needs to be done around things that will actually work in the high school, and that's a, really a challenging thing. One of the things we've been developing actually out of Oregon right now is, is a group called Stand for Courage, where they are working to simply uh, reinforce kids for standing up for others. So if you experience somebody um, standing up for you or if you stand up for somebody else, you can actually nominate them or nominate yourself for celebrity recognition. Uh, and so what we're doing is uh, celebrities are going into schools and reinforcing the kids for standing up for other kids. We're finding that to be an effective initial strategy for supporting high schools. Uh, ideally, we want to get into the teaching them specific skills for standing up for each other, but that's we've really run into some challenges because it's it's uncool. We have mm. to we have to form focus groups and have the kids actually develop the language, and we're finding that to work. In fact, we we're working with the island of Guam right now in all their middle schools, and they recently had a competition where. All the middle school students, uh, one group from each middle school would create a video on different language they could use to step in and say stop to incidents they see happening. And we're finding that to be very effective at the middle school level. We got some great video footage out of it, too. Very good. We're out of time. Much more to be said. Uh, so uh, where to go for more information, uh, Professor Ross? Uh, www.pbis. Org, pbis.org. You can find all the curriculum materials for free there, uh, as well as all the school-wide positive behavior support materials. And uh, for Human Rights Education Center of Utah, the website is hrecutah.org. A lot of great materials there. Uh, some some uh, great, and just Google uh, bullying. You can find some great material. A lot of national discussion is happening. We're happy to particip participate here. Carla Kelly, Executive Director and Founder of Human Rights Education Center of Utah, has been with us. Thanks so much. Thank you. Uh, Scott Ross, Assistant Professor in Special Education and uh, Rehabilitation Department at USU. Thanks. Thank you. And Clint Farmer, School Counselor, Edith Bowen Laboratory School in Logan. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. Support for Utah Public Radio is provided by USU's Emma's Eccles Jones College of Education and Human Services, ranked in the top 2% of graduate schools for, of education with degrees in elementary, secondary, and special education. More at cehs.usu.edu. Welcome to Wild About Utah, a partnership of the Stokes Nature Center, the Bridgerland Audubon Society, and Utah Public Radio. This is Linda Curvin for Bridgerland Audubon Society. More than 7 million acres burned this summer across the western United States. It's the biggest fire year since 2007. In Utah, wildfires blazed across 450,000 acres, as much land as the urbanized Wasatch Front. Most of these fires scorch basin and foothill habitats dominated by sagebrush or juniper forests. 
After a year or two, the blackened land will turn green. But shrubs and trees in these basin habitats are frequently killed by fire. Where these native plant communities naturally recover, it's because perennial wildflowers and grasses re-sprout and, like the shrubs, germinate their seeds. However, overgrazing a century ago impoverished many western rangelands. Aggressive weeds from Europe and Asia could then invade, such as tumble mustard, Russian thistle, and red brome or cheatgrass. These weeds outcompete our natives, multiplying with each fire cycle to eventually carpet the landscape. To stem this tide of weed invasion after fire, land managers assist plant community recovery by planting mixtures of shrub, grass, and wildflower seed. The shrub seed is mostly native, harvested from the wild by private seed collectors. The tiny seeds of several kinds of sagebrush prevail, often mixing with four-wing saltbush, shadscale, or bitterbrush. The grasses are largely farmed by specialty growers. In past decades, these were mostly tough, competitive grasses from the Asian steppe, notably crested and tall wheatgrasses and Russian wild rye. These practical, affordable grasses stand up to cheatgrass, but they also impede the return of the native flora. Today, half the grass seed applied after Great Basin fires includes natives such as Sandberg bluegrass, squirrel-tail Indian ricegrass, and blue-bunch wheatgrass. Use of wildflower seed has lagged. It's challenging to farm, yet costly to wild harvest. Today, a handful of innovative farmers are growing native wildflowers for seed, such as yarrow, Lewis flax, sweet vetch, two prairie clovers, a milk vetch, and several penstemons. How much seed is needed? After the big fire year of 2007, 4,000 tons of shrub, grass, and wildflower seed were planted in the American West. This is Linda Curvin for Bridgerland Audubon Society. Wild About Utah is a partnership of the Stokes Nature Center, the Bridgerland Audubon Society, and Utah Public Radio. For transcripts and archived audio of Wild About Utah, go online to upr.org and click on the Wild About Utah link. Support for Wild About Utah on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our listeners and the Quinney College of Natural Resources at Utah State University, where students and faculty promote the sustainability of ecosystems and the communities that depend on them. Information at cnr.usu.edu. As gardeners, we think of light in terms of full sun, part sun, and the shade our plants need to grow. We also need to think about light in terms of how it impacts the colors and the beauty of our gardens. Hi, I'm Melinda Myers, horticulturist and gardening expert. Take some time to observe how light affects your landscape throughout the day and year-round. Backlighting through ornamental grass seed heads and cacti needles at sunrise or sunset will make them just glow. Midday sun can overpower or wash out the more subtle colors in your landscape. You may notice professional photographers avoid shooting pictures midday and prefer overcast days. Side lighting highlights one side of the plant while casting the rest into shadows. And overhead lighting brightens the tops of plants while the base disappears in the dark. Design your gardens and place your furniture to get the best view of the naturally lit landscape. Check out our website for this and other gardening tips. This is KUSR HD1 89.5 Logan, KUSL HD1 89.3 Richfield, KUSK HD1 88.5 Vernal, KUST HD1 88.7 Moab, and KUSUFM HD1 91.5 Logan. This is UPR, Utah Public Radio.